feel like I want to read a passage as we start off this morning. This is Isaiah chapter 43. I love that song. Uh, you might be there this morning. I don't know how you'll make a way, but I know you will. Uh, maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't know how you'll make a way, and I'm not sure you will. And uh, maybe, maybe you're here today and that's where you're at. And I wanted to read this passage for you. This is Isaiah 43, verse 18 says, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. And I just wonder, maybe that's a message for, for, for someone here today. You need to hear that, that God is making a way. You don't need all of the answers. You just need to know that he is. And so I want to pray for us as we start off today uh, in, in that light. Jesus, we uh, want to confess trust in you today. And God, we declare that uh, you are enough for us, God, and that uh, we can't save ourselves. And we just gather together today collectively to say, God, we need you. We, we desperately need you to make a way in our lives. God, we have friends and family members who desperately need you, God. We have a city full of people who desperately need you, God, and, and many who don't even know it. God, would you make a way in our city? Would you make a way in our hearts? God, would you do a work that, that we cannot do, God? And we will give you all the honor and all the glory, God, because you are faithful. God, help us to forget the old things. God, help us not to dwell on the past, but to learn from the past, God, and ultimately to learn that you are always faithful. You will always do what you promise to do. And God, you never start a work that you do not finish. So God, finish that work within us. Continue that work in our city and our world, God. We look forward to the day that it will be finally finished. God, and the work will be complete. God, and your kingdom will come and you will reign on earth as it is in heaven. God, we look forward to that day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. Well, you ready? So I don't know if you're here last week. <laughs> Six of you. Sweet, awesome. If you're ready. Online people, if you're ready, type ready in the chat. That's awesome. If you were here last week, uh, we finished up a series called How to Doubt. And uh, we got together this week as a uh, sermon planning team. We have a team of people that get together and talk about what we're going to talk about. And uh, we were just like, we're not done. I, I feel like God's not done. And uh, we had another series that we scrapped. And we're just going to keep talking about what God's doing in our church because we just see that there's some really unique things happening. And uh, that God is really awakening some beautiful things in our church family. Uh, last week was amazing. Uh, we just kind of, I left on, on Monday morning, I woke up and I felt like I had like a holy spirit hangover. I'll tell you that. And uh, I don't know if that's a thing, but it's, it was a thing in my life. Anybody ever felt that before? Anybody? Okay. So it, it just like God showed up in a powerful way. We were, we were worshiping. We were praying uh, both in the morning. I saw uh, really hundreds of you come forward and get prayed for, for healing, uh, which was incredible. And then that evening we worshiped and we prayed once again and, and God showed up. There were, you know, 350 plus of you in this room just lifting your hearts to Jesus. And uh, for me, I just feel like there's something waking up around us. And I wanted to continue the conversation. Last week, the question was, where's the power? It's a good question, right? If you're in church, you're like, I'm here to meet God. Where's God? I feel like if the presence of God is near, there should be some power that is present. And, and, and too often, we've, I think, become accustomed to living a life apart from the power of God. And so it's no wonder that our, our friends and family members who don't know Jesus look in and they're like, well, there's nothing, nothing different. There's nothing for me to desire in your life. There is no power. And I want to continue that conversation with a different question this morning, which is, where's the fire? Like, where's the power, but where is the fire? What does that look like? 
Matthew 3.11 says this. It says, I baptize you with water for repentance, says John. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with, say it with me, fire, right? With fire. There is a fire in the Holy Spirit. All right. We got some fire in the, in the house today. Acts 2 verse 1 says this, when the day of Pentecost came, so continuing the text from last week was, was the promise of the coming of the Spirit. Now this is that moment when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. In other words, where did the Holy Spirit show up in the church? Was it when they were sitting alone in their bedrooms? Was it when they were just driving in their car alone? Was it there, I'm going to do this Jesus life alone? Was that where the Holy Spirit showed up? No. The Holy Spirit showed up when the church gathered. They were gathered in one place, okay? So suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And we know this was the moment that empowered the church to go and do the Jesus stuff that we talked about last week, to go and pray for the sick and see healing and preach with boldness. And ultimately many who were martyred for their faith, this is what motivated them was that they were filled with the Spirit, with fire. And it's interesting, uh, about a year ago, I felt like God kind of gave me a word for our church that I shared with our staff. And uh, we started using this language as, as a staff that, um, that, that we're to hoist the sails and, and the Holy Spirit's to bring the wind. That like, like we raise the sails, God brings the wind. It's, it's our job simply to, to raise the sails. We don't try to manufacture the wind of the Spirit, Right? We're going to try to manipulate God as we talked last week, right? Expectation without agenda. So we want the power of God, but we let God do his thing in his time and his way. And so I, I, we just had this kind of way of, of doing things and talking about things over the past year as a staff of like, okay, we're just like hoisting the sails, setting the sails as a staff, and God's going to bring the wind. And then coming into this fall, I was kind of feeling like, like I was trudging through life. Maybe you've felt that way before. Maybe right now you're like, I'm just kind of trudging through life. And uh, in some ways, just like ministry was difficult, and, and it was like we were just kind of pushing our way through, and I felt like in, a, in another moment of prayer that God said, hey, I would bring the wind, but you're not ready. You're not ready because you don't just need the wind, you need the fire. And what we just read was, was about the wind. The wind is the external manifestation of God's presence. And yes, we all want that, right? God show up in power. Amen to that, right? Heal the sick, right? Heal the, the hurting. We want to see you do miracles in our midst. Absolutely. But the fire is the internal manifestation of God's presence. Like God change us to our core. And I just felt like I was saying, if I sent my wind, I would blow you over. Like you wouldn't be able to handle it. I need to do a work within you so I can do a work through you. Does that make sense? And so I, th I think our church is experiencing that, right? That God's, God's sending the fire of, of, of excitement for his work, the fire of his spirit to, to work through us. And, and he's, he's working inside of us and refining us, right? And, and I think he's doing that for a purpose. It's always for a purpose. It's not just to edify us, but it's to build his church. And it's to expand the vision of the gospel in the world around us. It's interesting, um, this term fire, we use it a lot. Um, we say, hey, you need to go light a fire underneath that guy at work. In other words, uh, he, needs to, he needs to move, right? He needs to get motivated uh, when we say that. We, when an athlete can't seem to miss a shot, that person is on fire, right? Somebody today during the game is going to be like, that guy's on fire, right? There's just something going on. It's like there's just this power happening in his life, right? And I used to laugh and kind of wonder why Christians talk so much about fire, just like all the time. We sing songs about fire, you know, Jesus is on, you know, bringing the fire. It's all about 
fire. And uh, we just see this theme throughout the Bible. And uh, really, what does it mean to be on fire? I would describe it this way. Fire represents a zeal, conviction, and boldness to follow Jesus with a disregard for the personal cost or danger to self. In other words, I'm not worried about what you're going to think of me. I'm not worried about how it's going to, going to affect our relationship. I'm not worried about, you know, anything that it's going to cost me. I'm willing to operate in power because I have the fire of God living inside of me. And again, this is, another term for fire would be passion. And, and I wonder for you, like, what does passion look like in your life? The word passion actually comes from a Latin word that means to suffer, and I don't know if you ever thought about it that way, but, you know, maybe you've been to a, a church that had what's called a passion play back in the day. And a passion play is just the, it's the story of Jesus going to the cross. And, and Jesus' moment on the cross in the church is traditionally called the passion moment, the passion of Christ, right? And, and which is kind of funny, it's like, okay, he's dying on a cross and we're calling that passion, but that's because passion literally means to suffer and to sacrifice, which is a different view of passion. The passion isn't simply like an emotional ascent. It's not simply excitement. Excitement's good, but passion is better. You can be excited about something and not willing to let it cost you anything, right? I'm really excited about that, but I'm not willing to let it cost. But then there's passion, and, and trust me, you're passionate about something right now. There is something you are willing to bring all of your chips to the table for right now. That's passion. And there are moments in time, moments in history, and maybe there's been moments in your life where you've had a passion in your soul where you're going, I'm bringing all my chips to Jesus. And I'm laying them on the table and I'm saying, Jesus, I'm not going to withhold anything from you. I am willing to give up my life to follow you. Maybe some of you experienced that and that passion kind of burnt out. Maybe some of you are longing for that and there is no passion. Maybe some of you have not even realized that that can happen in your heart, friends. You don't have to live without passion. You don't have to go through your day kind of passionless, not having any desire, just going to work, you know, tomorrow and making a few bucks to buy stuff that you don't need to impress people you don't care about, to feel better about yourself, to wake up Tuesday morning and do it all over again, right? Like, that's not life. We want passion, right? We want a reason to be here. We want a purpose. I was able to go on a trip last year uh, over to London, and I got to see some things and experience some things while I was there that, uh, that really challenged my faith and has been building a fire inside of me since, since that moment. Um, we, were in, we were in London for about an afternoon. We were traveling over to Wales, which I'll talk about in a moment. Um, but while we were in London, uh, we were being shown around and shown some sights. I, I hadn't really done any research. I hadn't been to London before, so I didn't know what I'd see. And um, the gentleman that was, that was uh, touring us around brought us to this location. And I went from just sort of going, like, taking pictures, looking at the sights, to being deeply convicted by the Holy Spirit and having a moment, really, of worship in this setting and can we get that picture on the screen? He brought us to this place, and there's just this X on the ground. And I was like, well, what is this X all about? Well, on October 16th of 1955, Bishops Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley were actually being uh, fastened to a stake. I think it's 1855, by the way. Fashioned to a stake in this location, preparing to be martyred and burned for their preaching against doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, they prayed together before the fire was lit, and as the bundles of sticks caught fire beneath them, Latimer raised his voice and cried out to his friend, Be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. I love that. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England, as I trust shall never be put out. 
So these two men actually came against the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church, specifically in reference to what communion is and what it's about. And they were so convicted of the things they believed that they were willing to be martyred for their faith. And in that moment, where literally the flames are licking at their toes, they say, hey, this is, this is a beautiful moment. And they're praying together, and they're like, this is a moment where we're, we're going to start a movement in the church that will never be put out. There will be a fire today that's lit by our suffering that will lead to the salvation of many. And certainly that was the case. And you just have to look at that moment and go like, what would motivate someone to do that? I mean, and and you have to think to yourself, what would I be willing to be tied to a stake for? And, and, And I mean, that's a passion, right? Like that is a fire that's in someone's soul to be willing to do that. I think it's so unnatural to sacrifice that kind of, that kind of thing, to, to give up your life for something. And I'll tell you, in my life, I don't naturally drift towards sacrifice. In other words, you won't naturally drift towards passion. I don't drift towards passion. I drift away from it. I drift towards something called apathy. I, I drift towards complacency. I drift towards, I'm just going to sit here and just do my little life and do my little Bible study and just keep Jesus on the inside. That's what I tend to drift towards. You ever felt like you just don't care anymore? You've been so overwhelmed by the weight of life that you've lost your passion and you've just thrown your arms in the air and said, I just don't care anymore. And I think we've got a lot of excuses for our apathy, right? When it comes to our lives in general, when it comes to the things that God is calling us to, one of the, I think, most common excuses that I experience and have said before and have heard before is this, that works for everyone else, but not for me. Like, sure, that's a thing that Christians should do, and it's in the Bible and all, but like that's for someone else. It's not for me. And I I think what happens is we get these natural responses that we've already uh, trained ourselves to have to uh, these challenging moments of Scripture or maybe a sermon. And so when the pastor says something or the Bible says something, we already have our answer to why that doesn't apply to us. And if you're like, I don't know what things those are, I'll give you a few. So how about this? Just, Just like start with the Bible, right? So start with the Bible. Like, like, you know that you should wake up in the morning and frame your day around the Word of God. Like, if you're a Christian, you know, that's, that, that, that's a good thing to do. It's going to shape the way you see the world. And that's absolutely, I think, a helpful rhythm in our day. But, but the response I hear all the time is, I'm just not a reader, right? I'm just not a reader. And sure, you read stuff online all day long. You read social media all day long. You read other things, but you just can't read the Bible. And the truth is, it's a focus thing or it's a lack of desire to see God's word work through your life. But we have these answers. I'm just, I'm just not really a reader, Brian. How about this one? Fasting. We know that fasting is a rhythm that should be worked into the Christian life. Why? Because Jesus fasted. And it's our goal to become more like Jesus, right? So Jesus fasted. So clearly it's a good thing to do. And we'll talk more about that at the end of the message. Uh, but fasting's a good thing. But I think many people are like, I, I get hangry, Brian, by lunchtime. You do not want to see me without a meal. Like, I'm not a good mom at that point. You know, I'm not, a, I'm not a good friend. I can't focus. And yes, there's a cost. Again, it just comes down to what is worth your suffering. Because you are giving up things for something right now. And is that thing worthy? Is that thing going to impact the kingdom? Whatever it is that you're willing to suffer for, to think about constantly, to give your life to. How about this one? Uh, Tithing in the church, giving. 
What's your reaction and response to that? That's a rhythm of generosity, once again, because we serve a God who gave his only son. We want to be people who give generously, right, to to mobilize ministry, to help the needy, to make sure the kingdom of God advances. But we say, well, you know, I'll tithe when I have enough money. I'm just wondering, like, when do you have enough? At one point, what point is it like, I have enough to trust God now financially? And so here's one, sharing the gospel. Brian, I'm not good with words. I'm not a words guy. You're up there on the stage with the microphone. Surely you can share the gospel, but I'm just not good with words. Serving, I'm just too busy right now to serve in the church, to make a difference in our community, to actually go out and use what I have for the kingdom. I'm just really, really busy. Again, with what? With what? Because is, is that thing in the end going to impact the kingdom? And how is it impacting the kingdom? Prayer, I can't focus that long. I just kind of, my brain goes off, my ADD goes crazy, and so I can't focus. How about a life group? You know, it's a good thing to be in a life group. We're meant to live in community, right? We're not meant to do this life alone. We say that all the time, that every single individual in our church family should find a life group. I mean, again, where'd the Holy Spirit show up? In community, with people. So you want to see the Holy Spirit work in your life? Get in community, beyond this thing that we do right here. But you're like, Brian, I am socially awkward. That's right, that's right. But everybody else is too, trust me. Like, we are all socially awkward in one way or another. Worship is a big one, right? Worship, like, sure, the band's up here and they're singing, don't know how to make a way. That's great. That's for them, right? But I worship Jesus on the inside, right? I'm just telling you what, anything you're passionate about, you never just do on the inside. And you have to think about that, like, because the other things in your life that you're passionate about, you do on the outside. You talk about with your buddies at work, right? You're searching on the internet, right? You're getting excited about, like, people can hear the passion in you when you start talking about those things. When does that happen with Christ? When do we understand what Jesus has done to us to the point that we're like, man, we can't stop speaking about the good news? How do we build this passion, You see, our desire is always growing for something. Your passion, your desire is always growing. And there are people in this world that are actually wanting to manipulate you in order to leverage your growing desire. In fact, today, uh, for me, is not about the football. It's about the commercials. I'll be real with you. Like, I'm a ghost sports guy. I'm whatever. Uh, Jalapeno poppers, excited about that. And the commercials, right? And what you're going to see are a bunch of different commercials. I I love the car commercials. But you're going to see the latest model of something. And it's going to look very different from the last thing. Whether it's the new iPhone or it's the new whatever, Mercedes or Lexus, whatever it may be. You're going to see the newest model. Here's the question. Do you think they just came up with that design? Do you think that just came out of nowhere? They're like, hey, we just had these huge advances and now here it is. Of course not. The goal, and and automotive people have been uh, very open about this, the goal is to make small changes to a design so that you are dissatisfied with what you have. So that you'll look at this thing and go, what I have isn't enough, I want more. And the thing is, like, when you start to understand Jesus for who he is, like when we open the Word of God, today there should be some revelation that happens in your mind because we're opening God's Word. We're speaking about the truth of the Scriptures. And when that truth of who Jesus is starts to get into your soul, you're like, okay, there's something better out there for me. Sometimes you'll meet somebody and you'll see them operating with passion and with power, and you're like, my goodness, is that possible for me? That's the vision that the car companies and the other uh, industries are using to try to dissatisfy with what you, what you have so that you can get what you want. 
Like it's happening there. Is it happening in your soul when it comes to your faith? Are you looking at things and you're willing to sacrifice? Because some of you today are going to be like, I'm going to sign up to get, you know, whatever the new car is and make sure I've got the brand new model. But when you hear and you see that there is more for us, like we're seeing in the first century church, Holy Spirit, fire and power showing up, do you go, man, I would give my life to experience that. I want more about that. Now, some of you guys are going, man, how do I make myself care? Because that's the hard part. Because you're going, I want to care, but I don't care. How can I just make myself care? And so what some of you have done is focus completely on, on just your apathy. Like, I just got to stop being apathetic. I got to stop being complacent. But here's the deal. I believe that we fight apathy by feeding our fire for God. You have to feed something, not simply fight something. And sure, being aware of your tendencies to maybe spend all night on Call of Duty, whatever, modern warfare, whatever the new one is. I know this because I've got a little boy who's excited. Anyway, whatever the new one is, like if your tendency, yeah, be aware of the amount of time you spend on these things. But I just promise you, you will not just discipline yourself into caring about Jesus or to care about caring about the things of God. Like you gotta, you gotta have a fire that you're building. You gotta be stoking the fire that exists in you for God. What we know about Jesus is that Jesus was always stoking the fire in his heart. He knew how to do this. And again, we, we, can, we just think it's going to happen naturally. We just think if I go to church enough, I'm going to get on fire for God. But I'm just telling you, like, you got to stoke that fire. And Jesus was always stoking the fire. Luke 5.15 says, Yet news about him spread all the more. In other words, Jesus, the word about Jesus, what he was doing, his miracles, was beginning to, 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 to kind of flow through the countryside. And it says, so the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. Okay, so momentum in ministry. Like excitement. The, the, the momentum is building. The disciples are like, okay, Jesus, like we need to up our tour and make sure we hit more locations and get more crowds. And then verse 16 says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So when the momentum was building... Jesus was leaving. And it was constantly frustrating the disciples because they're like, does he not understand, you know, how this whole movement thing works? And Jesus had a deeper understanding than they did. He knew that when, when there was momentum of the Spirit, you got to get alone with the Father. And you got to spend some time in prayer. And yes, you need time in community, but you also need time alone in prayer. And so Jesus, what is he doing in those moments? He's stoking the fire in his heart. Because he understands that, that, that prayer does that. Why did we do prayer and worship as a church family last week? And we wanted to start to stoke the fires in our hearts and begin to build that. John 4, 34, my food, says Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Some of you guys are like, no, I need real food, Brian. And I get that. Real food is good, but Jesus is like, what fills me up, what satisfies me is to do the work of my father. That's literally what I live for. Like the way that you will crave food when you don't have lunch, Jesus craves the kingdom of God. And that's what I want in my life. And I want to see that build in my heart. Hebrews 5, 7 says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he what? Suffered. Passion. Jesus had passion for us. Passion for for the Father's work, right? And I just want you to think about the way that Jesus prayed. 
I think sometimes like we have these very clean little Christian prayers and we clasp the hands and dear Jesus, here's what I here's what I ask of you, and would you heal my friend, and you know, would you help me pay the bills, and would you do that? And so we have these kind of and Jesus, I just I see Jesus on his knees weeping, like nasty crying on the floor, like calling out, crying out to his father. That's how Jesus prayed. Like overwhelmed. Jesus didn't cry, didn't uh, just uh, pray quietly. He, he prayed uh, with, with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, right? Like, man, you ever prayed like that? You ever prayed just like that? And, and maybe you're like, well, I did for this thing that I needed him to do in my life, or I did because I wanted him to heal me to help this friend. But have you ever done that just based on the glory of who he is? Just for, just for, for Christ's sake, to, to, to honor him and to pray and to just weep over his holiness and our brokenness and how much he must love us. Like, and, and I know some of you here today, you're like, Brian, no, you don't get it. Yeah, this emotion stuff, like the church has gone too far in the emotion stuff. Like, like we just need obedience. We just need to do the right thing. But I'm just telling you, Jesus didn't just do the right thing. He also felt it. There was also a fire and a passion within him that wasn't just like, I do these things. Think about love in general. Like men in the room, when your wife says, honey, do you still love me after 20 years of marriage? What is she asking? What does she really want to know? And and let's say you answer with this. Well, I take out the trash, don't I? Is that what she's asking? Well, I pay the bills, don't I? Right? Like I'm here, aren't I? No, she's not asking that, is she? She's asking, when, when I walk in the room, is there still a fire that lights up in your soul? Like, do you still look at me the way you used to look at me? Do you still desire more of me? Do you still love me? And do you love me for the person that you know me to be today? That's what she's asking. And that's because that's like, love isn't only obedience and faithfulness. That is part of it. Love is also feeling it and passion and desire, right? It's to capture your heart, not simply your actions. And this is fundamentalism at its core. And what has wounded so many people in the church is a lot of people who are like, just do the actions. Don't worry about the feelings. And trust me, friends, I don't always feel it. And so, yes, do it when you don't feel it, but allow God to help you feel it, right? Like, be obedient to God when you don't feel it, and I get that. Like, there's many times I don't feel like waking up for, to go to church, you know? There's times I don't feel like getting up here and speaking about the Word of God because I feel like a failure in my own life. But I'm going to do it. I'm going to be obedient to it. And when I'm obedient to it and desiring that passion to grow, God will be faithful to bring the fire. Again, you can't create the fire, but you can stoke the fire and create an environment where the fire of God can fall in your life. We went from London on this trip over to Wales, and uh, we actually did a Welsh Revival tour, um, going to churches in different locations where the Welsh Revival broke out. I encourage you, go read about it. There's so much good stuff that you can study about that. But there was a man that we learned about named Evan Roberts, and uh, we can put a picture of him up on the screen. Evan Roberts grew up in Wales, uh, dropped out of school at 11 years old, and uh, did what every other 11-year-old in uh, America would do if they weren't in school, uh, got a job as a coal miner. (laughs) I was like, that's just what he did. Got a job as a coal miner, working full-time. From a very young age, Evan Roberts felt God's presence in his life, and he just started praying. He took prayer seriously. 
He realized that the deepest work that he could do was, was prayer. And as he was praying, he felt this fire get lit in his heart to see the people of Wales come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. And, and he started praying prayers like this, God, just give us Wales. I mean, for your kingdom, for your sake, God, give us Wales. We want to see people get saved. And, we, and he started gathering, as he got older, other coal miners together in their break room when they were just kind of eating some lunch. And they, instead of just eating lunch, they would pray together. They'd spend hours praying together, even after work, praying that God would save Wales. And at 26 years old, he had this conviction in his heart and this desire. He started praying, God, would you send us 100,000 new believers in Wales? Talk about an audacious prayer, right? Like this is the opposite of complacency. I mean, this is somebody going like, I want to see a move of God, like in my lifetime. So he's like, God, God, help me to see. I want to see 100,000 souls saved in Wales. And in 1904, Evan Roberts began traveling around Wales, leading these prayer meetings. And he challenged people to do four things at every one of these prayer meetings. Here's what they were. The first is this, confess all known sin to God. Whatever it is, be aware of it. Make yourself aware of it. Ask God to make you aware of it and then confess it. Second thing he led them to do was to put away all doubtful habits. That was the language that he used, but essentially to walk in obedience. In other words, like if there's something you're not sure if it's good for you, just stop doing it. See what God might do. If you're like, ah, I'm not like really getting drunk, but I'm drinking every night. And it's a, you're like, I think it might be a little doubtful. Stop. Just stop doing that. If you're like, I'm speaking to my kids in a way that isn't quite the way that I think I should. I'm not so sure, but like, just, just stop doing that for a minute. Like, like, ask God to free you from that. So put away all doubtful habits. The third thing was this, to obey the Holy Spirit promptly. No more of this like, next week, Jesus, you know. Next week, Holy Spirit. Oh, man, maybe when, I'm, when I become better with words or maybe in a different moment where you're looking for the exit. He's just saying, hey, when you feel it, just go, go do it. Try it. Test the Holy Spirit in that. Like, see if he might be speaking to you. And then this, confess Christ publicly. Be bold about the gospel. So in other words, like, don't simply go, well, if I just serve them, they'll know about Jesus. you got to speak about Jesus too, right? Like, serve them, absolutely. And we are a church that, that serves people and makes, I think, a, a big difference in our community. But we also want to share the good news. We're always inviting them to come and hear the gospel. So these four things, when you read them, you're like, they're just not that impressive, They're not that original. They're just things of the Bible. But as he traveled around Wales into these different locations, the crowds started coming. And people in the thousands were coming and just piling into these buildings. And at the end of that year, over 100,000 new believers came to Christ. It's just incredible. Revival broke out in Wales. And when we were over there, uh, we were visiting these churches. And one pastor, I'll never forget what he said to us. Uh, he was actually preparing for a Sunday morning sermon, and we showed up like 20 minutes before the message. You could tell he was a little distracted. Uh, he had stuff that he needed to do, but he, he was looking at us American pastors. There was a few of us there together, and he's like, I have a word for you. We're like, oh, okay. And he's like, when revival broke out in Wales, it was a beautiful thing. But he says this. He said, but we weren't ready. And he looked at us, and he says, if, if revival broke out in your church, would you be ready? Then he went back to writing a sermon, and I was like, whoa, I was convicted by that reality. Because the truth is, in Wales right now, although we were excited to hear about revival, um, they've experienced a lot of what's called revival burnover, which means that the church today is just a fraction of what it was 100 years ago. In other words, there was all of this emotional excitement 
but there were no structures in place to develop and grow people. And so a lot of it just sort of burned over. And that's the thing that can happen with revival and that fire is that we have the fire, but we haven't also built the sails to, to hold on to that wind of God. Like we've not been ready. And so for them, literally, the buildings couldn't hold the people. The leaders weren't stepping up to lead the church. The discipleship systems weren't there. And so he was basically like, hey, you guys might want that in your churches, but would you be ready? To see this be an ongoing move of God. Uh, some of you have been maybe even seeing uh, the news this week at Asbury Seminary. Uh, there's been this, this thing going on where uh, these students, they, they had a prayer meeting on Wednesday night and, and it hasn't stopped. And to this moment, people are gathering in the hundreds and in the thousands, like coming on busloads to this location where this isn't, this isn't a thing up front. Like there's some worship going on, but it's not led by any individual. It's just God at work in their midst. And it's like these students, these 30 students were like, we don't want to leave the presence of God, so we're not going to. And I just want to, what kind of passion does it take? At first, I'm, I'm like, I'm looking at these pictures on, on uh, the internet, and I was like, they got to get to class, right? I mean, you guys are going to miss some tests. Like, there's some things going, there's some sacrifice going on in this moment. They're giving something up because they're just so in love with the presence of God. And the thing is, like, nobody's forcing it. It's just happening because they, they desire this and because the Holy Spirit fell. And, and I just want you to know, like, as I look at what happened in this room last Sunday morning and Sunday night, and as I look at those moments, here's the thing. I think we tend to think, well, just God showed up, right? But here's the thing. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? I mean, what if it's not God who's different? What if it's you? This is so interesting. A, a friend of mine shared this little conversation she had with uh, her daughter, and uh, she put it on Facebook, and so I just, I'm going to share it, because it must be public. So I'm going to say this, Uh, but she said this, her daughter was talking to her after the prayer thing last week, and this was the conversation, mom, the extra church, I like that, extra church, extra church just felt, no offense, better than regular church. I really liked it, I think I needed it. Her mom says this, yeah, God showed up again, he was there in the regular church too, but Maybe you just heard him differently tonight. Here was her response. response. This is brilliant. She says, yeah, when I try harder to listen for God, I think it works better. It for sure feels better. I just, I want you to think of, again, these moments where God showed up. Last Sunday night, the Holy Spirit was tangible in this room. And there are moments in Sunday morning, the Holy Spirit is tangible in this room. God is here. Sometimes you're just ready for it. And, and I, I challenged our church last week, like, show up ready to meet God. He will be faithful. He will, he will be, he is here. His presence is here. We just sometimes show up ready to experience it, ready to see him. Here's the thing. When it comes to the fire of God, the problem is this. I think sometimes our prayer is this. God, fire me up, but don't consume my life. So you've got to be ready if you're going to ask for the Holy Spirit to fill you. If you're like, God, make me passionate. What you're inviting is not an emotional ascent. What you're inviting is sacrifice and suffering because that's what Christ did. But it's not simply sacrifice and suffering for suffering's sake. It's for the kingdom's sake. And it's always worth it. It's always worth it. Like what if you could be the kind of person that is so passionate about God that you would show up with fire in your bones, willing to, to, to give up anything in your life to see him move. I just want you to know God wants to do that in our hearts. He wants that for you, for every individual in this room. 
The question is, how do you stoke the fire? How do we begin to see the Holy Spirit combusting within our hearts? Like, that's, that's what I want to see in our church. So, again, I'm a car guy. I always think of car illustrations. When I first went to school for, um, uh, for mechanic stuff, they, uh, they taught us how to diagnose an engine, the basics, the basics of engine diagnosis. And if there's ever an engine that shows up, my teacher taught me this. You got to look for spark, you got to look for fuel, and you got to look for air. Spark, fuel, and air. And, and this was just in my mind this week of like, you know, this really is what lights a fire in our lives. And spark, fuel, and air represent three different things that I want to talk about for just a moment. Ephesians 5.13 says this, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So I think the spark that we need in the church starts off very simply with salvation. I think it starts off with maybe some of you are here and you're like, I, I don't really have a fire for God, and I just I want you to be honest. Are you a believer in Jesus? Have you given your life to him? And I'm not talking about do you believe he exists, but have you put your whole faith in him? It's the difference between believing in Jesus and believing on him. And we talked about this a while back. It's like believing a chair can hold you up and then sitting in the chair. Those are two different things, right? And a lot of you are like, oh yeah, no, I believe Jesus will hold me up, but you've never sat in the chair. You never put your faith on Jesus. And so the spark is salvation, right? Maybe you're here and wondering why you're apathetic. And maybe it's because Jesus isn't living in you yet. You have not yet gotten to the point where you're willing to sacrifice and surrender for the gospel. And again, that's not what saves you. But that willingness is part of the life of a believer. And so if you're not willing to walk into that, you're probably not ready to receive salvation. And, and, and the thing about salvation is it really is something that we receive. And it's a beautiful thing. But we, we also need to be willing to do something with it, right? Uh, Ephesians 5.15 says this. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So you've got the spark, which is salvation. Then you've got the fuel, which is discipline. Everybody's favorite word, right? Discipline. So you've got the spark. That's great. But, but, but what are we going to do with that salvation? Discipline. We need to be able to walk in the disciplines of our faith. That, that is the, like, I'm going to read the Bible when I don't feel it. I'm going to come to church when I don't feel it, Right? Like, there is a place for discipline and obedience apart from the feelings. We want to do those things, but also be praying for the feelings to come along, right? Praying for the emotions and the desire to grow because, again, any of that desire comes from God. So we need that. The fuel is the discipline. Again, I think salvation, we we get stuck in this posture is is what happens. We get stuck in this, we know salvation is a free gift, right? And so you come to Jesus and you go, okay, Jesus, save me. I'm not going to do anything to earn it, right? It's it's fully receiving it. And so you kind of show up to Jesus like this, and then you get frozen like that for the rest of your life. Like, Jesus, save me. And then, you know, you've been a disciple for 20 years. At some point, your your legs got to start moving, right? At some point, you got to start using your hands to, to share the good news with others, right? And you never stop receiving from God, okay? Don't ever think that. Like everything that you give must be continually received. You want to continue to receive from Jesus. You never stop receiving, but you got to do more than simply receive. You also got to outflow the good news to others. And that's what's going to start to build that fire in your life. I promise you, like if there's no outflow of the inflow, you will become unimpressed with Jesus and with the church and what's going on in your life. Like there, there will be no desire growing in you. 
It's the outflow that starts to build that desire. It's seeing God use you to transform somebody else's life that builds that desire. we got to move beyond receiving, right? We have to exercise the gifts that God has given us. And every single one of you has a gift. Every single one of you has been empowered. If you're a Christian with a gift through the power of the Holy Spirit to be used to edify the church and to share the good news with the lost. It's like a year ago, a couple, a couple years ago, we were looking around Eagle River for a gym membership and trying to figure out which gym we wanted to go to. And we, we walked into this gym and I saw a sign on the, the wall that said pizza night. And I was like, oh babe, this is the gym for us. This gym has a pizza night. This is my kind of gym. And uh, I won't name names what gym it is, but I, we went to the gym and and, and I was just thinking about this, like, that's great. But there are people that maybe walked in and they saw that sign. And what if that's, like, all you did? And just imagine if, like, after a year, like, you show up to the gym and all you do is pizza night. And you call, like, the manager and you're like, hey, I need to cancel my membership to the gym. Well, why? I'm dissatisfied. Why? Well, because I've been going to the gym for a year and I haven't lost a pound. He's like, well, what have you done? Pizza night. He's like, you idiot. That's not what you're supposed to do at the gym. Supposed to come and work out, right? There needs to be more than inflow. There has to be outflow. And a lot of people are like, why do I go to church anymore? I haven't gained or I haven't lost a pound, right? I haven't seen any movement in my life. Well, what are you doing with it, right? How is there outflow in your life? If there's no outflow, you're going to get sick of it. And I don't blame you if you don't show up. I know why there's no passion. Because you're not beginning to exercise the things God has given you. Ephesians 5.17 goes on, Therefore, do not be foolish, We all have a tendency to be foolish sometimes. To believe the lies that are in our own hearts, the lies of the enemy. But understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. The third part of it is this oxygen. We need the spark, salvation. We need the fuel, discipline. And we need the oxygen, the Holy Spirit, to fill us. The literal translation of this text is not just but be filled, it's be being filled. It's continually being filled. In other words, as a believer, you get the indwelling of the Holy Spirit at salvation, and then you continually are praying for the filling of the Spirit for the rest of your life. You're asking God, hey, fill me up, because what that means is apparently uh, it leaks out, right? Apparently the Holy Spirit leaks out, and I'll tell you what, like Holy Spirit leaks out of my life sometimes. And I have moments where I'm like, where did he go? I am not operating in the power of the Spirit. I'm saved. If I died today, I would spend eternity with God, but there is no power flowing through me right now. I need to be filled with the Spirit to operate in power. I need the fire to see the wind. Does that make sense? You can't just get the wind. You need God to change you, to fill you. We need the Holy Spirit. And in the end, I know some of you, again, like you wonder about the feelings, but I want to encourage you, especially like you men in the room, who have just kind of become numb in life, maybe numb because of some, some wounds, numb because of the weight and the burden of your life, one numb because of stress, to allow God to awaken your emotions to him. I just want you to think of anybody that's done anything significant in the world with passion, right? Like they've all felt it. Like nobody that's done significant things in this world has done them without actually desiring and feeling those things. Like there's always emotion and desire connected to their obedience and their faithfulness. Jesus, what's the shortest verse in the Bible? 
Jesus wept. Yeah, good, a bunch of church people in the room. Yeah, Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. If you look at that moment, you just, it, it should boggle your mind that Jesus wept because it, he's weeping over his friend, Lazarus, right? Lazarus is dead, and yet what's he going to do in just a moment? He's going to bring Lazarus back to life. Jesus knows this, and he walks into a space, and everyone's weeping because their friend's dead. Like, Jesus, you should have showed up. If you would have come earlier, he wouldn't be dead. There's anger, there's pain, there's suffering. Jesus reads the room, comes in, and he loves them so much, he weeps with them, knowing he is in a moment going to rescue this man from death. Jesus felt it. You need to understand this reality that Jesus didn't just know he loved you, he felt it all the way to the cross. He felt it. And I want men and women in the room, I want you just to ask God to awaken your hearts to him. To bring a fire into your soul that would, that would bring desire to do the things of God. Desire just to be in his presence. Desire just to pray. Just to be in community, right? I'm just promising you, he wants that for you. And when you get a taste of it, you'll never want to go back. So you have an action card on your seat. I want to encourage you to take a step today. Uh, this is just something we do as a church family every week is we want to fill out this card and um, kind of make a decision this morning because we don't want to just go to church. We want to let God change us through going to church. And so maybe your first step is to experience the spark in your life and begin a relationship with Jesus. Maybe that's your first step. You're like, I'm not passionate because honestly, I believe there's a God, but I don't believe my life on God. And I want to do that today. Maybe you want to join a serve team or a small group and you're going, okay, I need to exercise this faith. I need to do more than just taking in the truth of the, of the, of the gospel. I want to I use the truth of the gospel in my life. And maybe this is you. I'm praying this dangerous prayer. Holy Spirit, if there's more, I want it. Again, expectation without agenda. I don't know what it's going to look like. It doesn't have to look like anything. All I know is I want more of you, God. Would you begin praying that prayer? Maybe this is you today. I want to challenge our church beginning tomorrow. Uh, to start a 24-hour fast. If you're watching this later online, you can do it whenever you want. But on Monday, February 13th, I want to I call a fast for our whole church. And I shared this on Wednesday night and share this all morning that I want to encourage you to try this. By tomorrow, you will have been eating so much crap today that it's going to be good to just take a fast anyway. So I'm just, I'm helping you out. But for one day, for our entire church, no agenda, just Jesus, okay? No agenda. We're just going to fast and see what God might do in our midst. And so I want to encourage you to take part in that. If you're just already like, that's not for me, that's for everyone else, I want you to just resist that reaction. And if you physically, whatever, you cannot fast because of some kind of medication you're taking or whatever, find something else other than food to fast from. But I'm, I'm calling out a 24-hour food fast. Drink some liquids. Food fast for a day. And let's see what Jesus might do in our midst. Would you, would you stand? I want to pray for us. We'll worship together. Father, thank you that uh, you are here.